Hey, Mabel. Hey, Tori. Hey, playwrights. Welcome to Hey, Playwright, a podcast about playwriting and life. Hi, Tori. <laughs> Wait a minute. That's not, that's not our usual. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Hey, Tori. Hey, Mabel. How's it going? Oh, my goodness. I'm still coming off the high from yes. the weekend. Yes. yes. I was talking about it last night. I, I was meeting with our, our writers group, Paletras, and um, I, I posed the, the question, like something that brought you joy since we last saw each other. And I just couldn't stop talking about. About what, Tori? What am I talking about? <laughs> I know. I was just thinking. We haven't even said what it is. We yeah. went to see "Banging It," a banging new musical at La Jolla Playhouse. Yes. Oh. Gosh. Oh. And what was so special about it is that we were there on opening night. Yes. And wow, uh, to have the conversation with Mike and Rahana, and then to get to experience it live in person. Um, I took my kiddo, you brought your sister, and we just, well, I mean, I'm trying to speak for everybody. I will say I had an amazing time. It was so joyful. Yes, it was. It was really joyful. And I got to tell you, what was one of the first things that that struck me as it began was, again, I, I think about my niece a lot. So, So my niece, well, I'm obviously a Latina. And my sister is Latina, but her husband is Punjabi. And so I was thinking, much like I, I thought when, when Kamala Harris um, became vice president, like how amazing that my niece is going to it sees representation, sees herself, is going to be able to see someone like her on stage. My sister is actually bringing her kids. She bought the tickets. <gasps> she's, she's taking my niece and my brother-in-law to go see it in a few weeks. Um, but I think like, I, I don't know, you know, I don't know. I'm not white. So obviously, but I don't know if, if people realize how important, how meaningful it is to see someone like you in spaces that don't normally show someone like you. So it was very, it was very emotional. And I think just not just that, but there were just a lot of there was a lot of depth in unexpected places in the musical. There was just mm -hmm. a lot of a lot of issues about identity. Identity um, that was the right? big one for me. Yeah, and, and and finding community. Yeah, and and how we create community. Yes, and and how we cut people out of community, right. even within our own. Totally. You know, it, it was like you said, deep on so many levels, but also the music was just uh, incredibly moving. You know, I was, I was moved to tears a couple of times, but just hearing people sing in general kind of gets me, you yes, know, Dory, it, gets yes. me. it gets me, but also, you know, the, you know, the song, I, I don't think I'm spoiling it for anyone, but that just really got me was, um, when you weren't sure what was going to happen and the one character who had been so quiet, oh, stepped forward and said that, you know, this could be a thing. But the minute she started singing, I was like, 
<laughs> I'm like, oh, don't cry in front of my kid. She's so judgy. <laughs> but boy, that that was so moving to me. It was just, you know, how how the this this group of college students thought they had found a space. They didn't feel like they belonged anywhere. Yeah. And then they thought they had found a space. And it's I'm I'm not ruining anything when I say it's a roller coaster. <laughs> yes, yes. It, 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 it is a journey to to find that space, right? Yeah. It is, yeah. yeah. So, so so go see it. If if you're lucky enough to be in San Diego or nutty enough like us to travel for a show. But yes, it's it's such a beautiful show. Um go and it's joy. Right. And it, we've yeah. seen the, a lot of stuff that we've watched lately has been really heavy. And this has just been I mean, there were obviously there were some emotional moments, but but at the end, I think we are oh my pretty, pretty uplifted. <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was probably one of the greatest finales ever. So, oh, my gosh. Yes. So, yeah. So, <laughs> yes. Congratulations to to everyone that. Uh, is a part of that stunning production, and um, I, I I look forward to seeing it again someday in the future. So, Tori, spring break is coming up. Do you have any any plans to take your kiddo anywhere? Because I'm working over spring break, it's hard to figure out something to do. I thought it might be fun just to do like a a little two day trip to Catalina because mm-hmm. she's always wanted to go. So maybe something like that, but nothing. Nothing major. What about you? Um, I no, same reason because I'm teaching. Um, it's hard to to get away. We are going to go to WonderCon, um, which is the it is in Anaheim. It's it's the sister event to Comic Con. I'm taking the baby to 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 WonderCon, and and Dally has like parties. He's Mister Social Butterfly, so he's going to be going to <laughs> to parties. And so uh, so so little man and I are going to go to Anaheim and. And hit up all the uh, the manga stuff because he's really getting into into manga and anime. Like he's he's there, we're there. Like he's, which you know what? <laughs> he asked me a question the other day. So he, as part of school, they have to read for thirty minutes every day, which I love because I it makes them it it almost forces them to find something that they like to read. Mm-hmm. And then and then they they get over that thing of like, oh, I hate reading because like they have to find something that's interesting to them. And the teachers are like, whatever, whatever it is, it's a comic book, it's a magazine, whatever, just reading for 30 minutes. And so he asked me, he's like, hey, um, does this count as my reading time? Because he's watching he's watching Japanese anime and he's reading the subtitles. And I'm oh. like, huh, you are reading because he doesn't speak Japanese. <laughs> um but no, I still said no. You got to read something on paper, which I get. Like it's if I was if I really walked the walk of of rethinking traditional concerts, I would say yes. But I'm not there yet. Like, no, pick up a book. Gosh, uh, you know, Sadie loves manga and anime. It's her jam. What is she into? Yeah. Like, which ones is she into? I don't even know if I could tell you. Uh, like, she'll tell me and then I forget. It's terrible. Like, I can't retain it. Why? What is? Do you know what BB's into? Yes, because I he got me into it. So uh, I'm watching Attack on Titan right now, which I think is fascinating. It's really, I I really I like the the art. So it's these giants that eat people. Do you know I'm that one, Sadie? I'm gonna ask Sadie. No, I I don't. 
he's really into Attack on Titan. And in fact, he's going to dress up as um, one of the scouts for Halloween. And I have to make his costume. Uh... And then... And then now he's getting into Demon Slayer, which I don't quite understand yet, but I told him he'll I, ex- he'll have to explain it to me. I think Sadie likes that one. So that sounds amazing. Going to the WonderCon and yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, we and we have a trip coming up after spring break. We do. We do, Tori. So yeah. uh so we're getting our 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 plans lined up because where are we going? We are going to Independence, Kansas for the William Inge Theater Festival. Ah, That's so exciting. Now, first of all, have you ever been to Kansas? I have. I have been to Emporia, Kansas. I went there when I was an undergrad at ASU. I was in a performance of Hamlet Machine, which... Is still such a, one of my favorite plays. And so I went and performed there. And I feel like my world uh, has just come full circle because a play that I wrote is going to be a part of a play festival at Emporia, Emporia State. Emporia State. Oh, my gosh. Yes, the same place where I performed all of those years ago. Um, on, uh, let's see, April, I'm trying to bring up my calendar, but it's the weekend right before we go to Kansas. It's Was it April like April 15th? 15th. Yeah. On a nice. Friday night, they're doing a festival there. So that is really exciting to, to have that being done. And then the following week, we are going to be in independence for this festival. So that, that is super cool. And at that festival, we are going to have an opportunity to actually see some of the playwrights who we have interviewed on the podcast. We're going to get to meet them in person. I mean, yes. What a so yes. excited. So excited for that. And so today, our guest is... Who's our guest, Tori? Today, our guest is someone whose name you might recognize if you subscribe to the newsletter for Playwrights Center. Hannah Joyce, because her name is attached to those emails, right? They come out with all of the events and the opportunities. So Hannah Joyce is the producing artistic director of the William Inge Theater Festival, as well as the director of membership and education at the Playwright Center in Minneapolis. And she has produced countless new play development workshops with playwrights across the country. Um, she is just a wealth of information. Um, she's really devoted to supporting playwrights at every level. And please stick around too and listen to the end of the episode because we are going to give some additional information that Hannah sent to us after we recorded this episode. Awesome. So without further ado, let's listen to our conversation with Hannah Joyce. Hey, Mabel. Hey, Tori. Hey, Hannah. Hey. <laughs> Welcome to Hey Playwright. We are so happy to have you on the show today. So happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Now, you wear so many hats. You're, you're, you're doing so many different things that I would love if you could talk about 
um, some of the work that you are doing and then and then we'll dig a little deeper. Yeah, so I have uh, ostensibly two jobs. I am the director of membership and education at the Playwright Center in Minneapolis. And I'm also the producing artistic of the William Inge Theater Festival in Independence, Kansas. So um, the wonderful thing that kind of ties all of my work together is that whatever I'm doing, I'm working with playwrights. So that's been the exciting joy of my life. Well, we love that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, so for people listening, can you talk about what Playwright Center does and is? Yeah, and the Playwright Center is such an interesting organization. It's been around for about fifty years now, and um, what I think is really cool about the Playwright Center is it means something different to so many different people. So I think what often happens is that somebody thinks about the Playwright Center in one way, sort of in the way that they've heard about it or maybe engaged with it and aren't aware that it is also all of these other things. So I think the Playwright Center is best known for its fellowships. And we started, um, you know, many, many years ago, really with the support of the McKnight Foundation and the Jerome Foundation. And that's really how our fellowships grew out of this uh, group of kind of ragtag playwrights who were in Minneapolis and out of school and just trying to produce their work together. Um, and so the, the fellowships have kind of become... The, the thing that we're most known for, people apply every year, and we're supporting uh, many different levels of playwrights, emerging playwrights to um, establish playwrights through uh, a variety of fellowships. And there are about 40 playwrights who we support each year through those programs, our core writer programs, our Jerome fellowships, our McKnight residencies. Um, and we develop about 70 plays with those 40 writers each year, which is really incredible. Um, but then in addition to that cohort of folks, we started a membership program. And the membership program, unlike other programs, maybe at other organizations, is open to anyone. And it kind of, I think, started initially to help people feel like they were a part of a community and that they were they had an affiliation with the Playwright Center. And then it's sort of big uh, drawing point was our Place Emission Opportunities database, which is quite incredible. Really, um, over time has become a, a very refined resource that is sortable and searchable. And we add about a thousand new opportunities every year to this database that people can access and they're all over the country and around the world. So um, that was kind of a, has always been sort of a big draw for our members. But our membership program has grown and I'm talking about membership because I run this program. So it's sort of near and dear <laughs> to my heart, but um, it's grown since I started at the Playwright Center about nine years ago. We had about 1,200 playwrights who were members, and now we have over 2,400 playwrights across the country and in 23 other countries because there's no other organization like ours that I'm aware of that um, is open to playwrights at every level and tries to kind of meet them where they are with resource. So that's... Um, 
that's kind of the 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 large scope of what the Playwright Center does. It has these really finely, um, uh, I guess, this like high level of support for playwrights through these fellowship programs every year. But then there's this other program that supports playwrights um, through education, through this play submission database, through meeting and talking about um, scripts and reading plays together and kind of community support, which has really grown a lot over the past many years as we're all getting more comfortable being on Zoom or however, you know, we're joint. We used to use go to meeting and <laughs> we've used Google Hangouts. But, you know, over time, people are getting more open to joining virtually. And um, so the program has grown and it feels like community, which is really important right now, I think, as we're all feeling so isolated to be able to come together with other playwrights is so exciting. So that's sort of the scope of the Playwright Center work. Wow, that is amazing. And one of the things that you mentioned it briefly, but like what Tori and I especially love, well, there's met a lot of things that there's we love about the yeah. Center. But one of the things that we super love is the the courses that are offered. Tori, I know that like that's how that's how we've we've discovered playwrights because you know some of the instructors are are people that we become fans of. Um, so, and you have course offerings on so many different things. Or to talk about your favorite, your oh my favorite gosh. class as of took, late. As of late, it is the horrific playwriting with oh. <laughs> Courtney Meeker. Oh my goodness, that was just wow! I I loved it. Mabel and I took a class with Idris Goodwin, which was. <laughs> our QIA playwriting class that we seem to never stop talking about. Um, but just so, there's so many great classes. And then and also just these sessions, like there was one about how to write your artist, your mission statement as an artist. Like that's just such valuable, practical information for for theater makers. So I think there's so many great offerings. But in addition to that, Tori. You and I um, were just enjoying Christopher Diaz and Gina Femia in, in those offerings, the work that has been presented. Um, oh, my so, goodness. Yes. There's just it's just a lot. It's just it really is a gift to 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 playwrights and theater lovers, because, I mean, even if you're not necessarily a theater maker and you just love theater, I think I think there's still value in um, in uh, Playwright Center offerings. So so thank you. Yeah, that, you know, again, like I'm always looking for the silver lining in things. And this pandemic has been such a struggle for, for us all in so many ways. But what I have really loved about um, about this time is that we're all getting used to and comfortable to being in these virtual spaces together. And it, our programming at the Playwright Center had been very local if it was public. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we were having great conversations and we were having um, public play readings um, after, you know, working and developing with a playwright for a while on a play. And now all of these things are happening online and people can watch. Um, and they're sort of pretty well produced and people are getting really used to performing in that way. And while it's never going to replace, you know, being on the stage and having a full production, there is something wonderful about being able to hire actors from all over, being able to expand our audience so people can join and see. Um, 
And even, you know, as you're talking about some conversations that we're having, just bringing uh, theater makers together to talk about process, to talk about struggles, to talk about the work and pushing the field forward and stories. And I just, I, I love that all of this now can be accessible to folks wherever they are. Yes, absolutely. Um. <sighs> uh- so this is a little side note that may may not make it into the podcast, but I think that it the the center first came on my radar. This was years ago, so fifty years. Wow, I yeah. had no idea that it had been around for fifty years. But years ago, because somebody I went to university with I was one of the fellows, Trista Baldwin. Yeah, Trista. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think she's still involved. Yeah, and I know she's no longer in the area in Minneapolis. I, I think she's in um, the, the Pacific Northwest now, but, but yeah. So I remember seeing it and I went, Oh my gosh, what is this place? And then <laughs> seeing that there were all these wonderful submission opportunities. And that's how uh, my first connection was years ago. But then, you know, I did not at the time take advantage of all of the other incredible offerings. And I'm so uh, grateful now that I have started doing that because like Mabel said, boy, it has just been, it's been wonderful to connect with these artists and to hear, oh my gosh, I loved the audio play. Yeah. He has an audio play. And then Gina Femia's um, play that the production was amazing. 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 <laughs> like, really, really. So yeah. yeah. So thank you for all that you do connecting playwrights with producers and all of that. So could you talk about what is the best way for playwrights to get the attention of a theater? Well, I think there's something sort of special about the application process at the Playwright Center. Um, and this isn't, you know, what I might say to just anybody, especially if I didn't work at the Playwright Center, but um, th- it's I don't know. I think this is kind of magical. So we have hundreds of applications for, you know, the core writer application, the Jerome Fellowship, the McKnight, the Many Voices. There there are um, many different, uh, the core apprenticeship, many different applications um, that come through the the Playwright Center. And we have hundreds of theater artists and makers, um, producers, directors, playwrights, you know, Etc. Um, around the country, who are reading these plays um, through the application process? Because nobody on staff of the Playwright Center is choosing these playwrights. We have we have panels, so all of these folks are reading these plays, and then there's a separate panel, and the panels are different every year for each of these um, different fellowships. And um, what happens a lot, it, like a lot more than you would imagine is that somebody who's a reader for a play will reach out to one of us who's kind of, you know, administering the fellowship and and will say, I really loved this play. Can I be in touch with this playwright? And we'll say, okay, let's wait until this, you know, we've gotten a little further in the process, but we'd love to connect you. And I've had so many stories where people will say, we wound up producing so-and-so's play who, who was applying, and maybe they didn't get the fellowship with us, but they wound up getting a production out of it. Um, so that's a roundabout way of saying that I think it's really important if you can find ways to get your plays, of course, in front of readers. And weirdly enough, applying to, to different you know, 
um, fellowship opportunities and programs can sometimes be a way of getting your play in front of somebody who you wouldn't imagine might read it. Um, the other really cool thing I think about our application process is that you can get feedback. Um, and I don't think a lot of organizations offer that feedback. And um, my colleague Julia spends hundreds of hours probably each year just kind of taking the feedback, the written feedback and the verbal feedback from these panel sessions and putting them into um, you know, language that we can send along to the playwright so that it can be useful to them as they're working on their next application. So, um, yeah, so I think that would be my advice is just apply to a lot of things because then your plays are getting in front of people who you may not realize are reading them. That is amazing and a total reframing of the the fellowship submission process. I think that is, I think you have just hit upon something that I had never considered. And it's so true because um, you don't know who's reading your, your plays. And I love that idea that maybe it wasn't um, selected for this fellowship, but like now people know your name that didn't know your name and the feedback is absolutely invaluable. Oh my gosh. I love that. So, so <laughs> listeners like, pay attention to this, apply to those, those fellowships apply and, and know that maybe it doesn't, you know, give you what you, the, the letter, the, uh, the acceptance that you were expecting, but there are, there are benefits. Like people are reading your work. I think, thank you for pointing that out, Hannah. I think that's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I well, love and that. that you're getting feedback. feedback. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That, that is invaluable as well. So yes. <sighs> oh my goodness. Um, a rejection exciting. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. What's my learn? What did I learn from this? <laughs> Embrace rejection. Yes. <laughs> oh my goodness. So uh, one of the things that you do is that you advocate for playwrights voices and something that I had read about you is has to do with fair compensation for playwrights, which Ooh, that is, that's a hot topic. So can you talk about that? I work at a really extraordinary place. Um, the, the Playwright Center is uh, led by real, um, true advocates for playwrights. Um, Jeremy Cohen has taught me a lot about what, not, not just, you know, where, what are, what are some, good values around this, but also like how to, to start to do the work to advocate for playwrights. Sometimes you can have a feeling like, well, these playwrights should be paid, but how do you make that happen? Um, one of the things that we say is no artist who works with us is not going to get paid. So everybody who walks into the Playwright Center gets, gets paid. Even if you're on fellowship or in the core writer program and you come to your your development workshop, we're going to pay you um, and you'll be the highest paid person in the room um, with your director and, and actors. But every single person who works with us is paid. And I think if you start from there, then um, you, you have to figure it out. So maybe you're doing fewer play development workshops in a year, but at least everybody's getting paid for their time. And so, you know, I've just kind of taken that into all of my work. Um, 
I have worked in a lot of places where, and I'm sure we've all felt this, and there has been in the past and still continues in some places, this idea that um, you're lucky to be in the room. Mm. And I just um, have gotten to a place in in my own career where I know that's not true. Um, It is lovely to be in a room, but none of us are lucky to be in the room. We worked to be in that room and we should be paid um, for the work that we do. So uh, the, it's it, it when you start to think, when I start to think in my work now, um, I, I also run the William Inch Theater Festival and we have many, many local volunteers who, you know, are just make it possible because we all know that putting on big events cost money. (laughs) Um, But a lot of times, um, and in the past, you know, people would, again, be brought to kind of work and you'd pay them through your love and maybe you'd feed them and give them a place to stay. But um, I I have really worked in my own work to kind of push against what, what has always been and to pare down so that we can do things really well, but also pay these artists to be in the room. So um, I think it just starts with kind of determining for yourself that that's something you're going to do and and figuring it out. And hopefully when people show up for a gig and they get paid, then the next time they're asked to do another gig, they can start to expect that or ask for that or... um, I, I don't know. I, I hope that there's a domino effect that we're teaching artists that they deserve to be paid and that we are teaching ourselves that we need to figure it out or we need to do less programming so we can make it happen. Mm. Awesome. Yeah. I, I think that all playwrights listening can, um, that that is going to resonate yes. <laughs> in a big way. Um, so uh, this is kind of a, maybe this is what I should have started off with, but how did you make your way into theater and into producing? Yeah. Um, you know, not in the way that I think would have been advised, certainly. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I went to college, I was in theater in college and I, and I loved it. And like so many people, I wanted to just be an actor and um, be on stage. And um, out of college, I was in um, St. Louis, which is I'm where I'm from. And I was performing um, in the city and wound up just sort of weirdly finding my my way into working with a lot of new plays. Um, and that was kind of a lot of what I was doing was new work. And then um, my husband at the time got offered his first teaching job out of grad school. And the job was in Independence, Kansas, at this community college in Independence, mm-hmm. Kansas. And, um, you know, we're like, Kansas, the middle of nowhere, Kansas, like, what are we going to do there? And I was really starting to work in the city as an actor. And I was loath to leave that behind after, you know, (laughs) all the work I'd done to kind of get myself into the community. 
but we saw that the William Inch Theater Festival was there. And he was like, it kind of looks legit. Like Stephen Sondheim's <laughs> been there and Arthur Miller. And I was like, what? <laughs> That's not true. And that's true. Um, so I was like, all right, well, maybe, maybe we'll go for three years. I'm sure they'll let me do something and I can just, you know, keep my toe in the water. So we moved to Kansas. Six months later, I had a job at the William Inge Theater Festival and it was part-time seasonal, which was a joke because it was never part-time. And they hired me full-time after that immediately. And we stayed there for nine years. And, um, that, you know, I had, we went down there with, I had a three-year-old at the time when we moved there. And then I had an, a baby while I was there and we just kind of made a home there. Um, the William Inch Theater Festival also has playwright residencies. So William Inch was born in that town and, um, his boyhood home was purchased back in, I think, 2002, by the William Inge Festival Foundation, which is the 501c3 arm of, of the Inge Festival. And they purchased it and we've been getting support from the NEA all these years to support these playwright residencies. So playwrights come from all over the country and stay for four to six weeks in William Inge's home and they write um, and they teach at a local high school and sometimes out of the college. And it's just, it's just amazing. And they're embraced by the community. And there have been some really incredible plays who that have come out of that residency. In fact, speaking of Gina Femia, she's in residence right now down there and she just finished a play. Um, she was selected a couple of years ago before we had to kind of postpone our festival as the Otis Guernsey New Voices in Playwriting Award winner for the Inch Festival. So she's um, going to have the play she just finished uh, featured at the William Inch Theater Festival in April. So oh. we're excited for that, but you know, it's, it's a great place to write. So that's also been kind of a fun way to continue to support new work because the Inch Festival itself is celebrating, you know, well-established Pulitzer Prize winning often playwrights um, who come down to this little town in Kansas <laughs> and, you know, people from all over the country come down to celebrate them. And it's just this extraordinary three-day festival out just in rural America um, with all of these artists and the community just, you know, rising up to support it. It's really it just extraordinary. So um, your question was, <laughs> how did I wind up um, in the theater and producing? I left the festival in 2012 and briefly moved to Arkansas Um my husband had taken another teaching job and I just needed a break. Um, it had been a long, I had a, another three-year-old at that time. And um, it had just been a lot of work for many years. And so I was taking a year off to just, what I wound up doing was what I like to say, I was raising chickens and girls because we moved to the <laughs> little farm in the middle of the Ozark Mountains, right outside of um, Eureka Springs, Arkansas. And we rented this, this organic farm that the, the owner was um, 
a violin player and he was retired and he had this huge organic garden that he would sell his produce to the local restaurants. And he just wanted to go to Prague and, and with his band and they were just like touring. And his wife was in Florida doing some nursing stuff because she wanted to be out in Florida. So this home that he'd built was like his dream farm. There was a greenhouse attached to the house, a hot tub, a guest house on the property. It was 12 acres. It had all of these outbuildings and barns. And so I ordered little chicks in the mail and um, <laughs> raised chickens and just took a year off. It was beautiful. Um, but then I, then I got a, the job at the Playwright Center um, and when I took the job at the Playwright Center, the Inch Festival started asking me every year to come back and produce different elements of the festival. And over time, and over some changing of the guard with the artistic directors, um, I was producing bigger and bigger events. And then eventually they asked me to come down and just be the artistic director from afar because I knew all of the people who lived in the community, all of the volunteers that kind of knew how to make it all work um, and was still so deeply connected to the wider theater and playwriting audience. So it was a, a circuitous and, you know, non-traditional way of becoming a producer. I like to tell people to um, show up where you want to be mm. Um I used to be really afraid, especially when I first moved to Kansas, that I was going to lose my touch on the theater field because I was going to this rural, remote place. Um, but what I've discovered is that there are artists everywhere. Um, we can make our own theater. Not that we have to, but being in Kansas, because you're so disconnected from everything else, I realized that we really were making the theater that was there. And um, the people who were there, you know, we were inviting people to our houses all the time for dinner. And you mm. kind of, you can't go out to the things. So you have to make the things that feed you uh, when you live in a place like that. And that's just taught me a lot about um, how there are good people everywhere. There's good art everywhere. We can make it together. We can find our people together. We can welcome people in. Um, and so I think I'm not as afraid anymore of sort of losing touch because we're so connected um, and we're all capable of, of creating space for it. So it's awesome and, and inspiring. And, and uh, for people that are, that think, oh, I have to go to New York or I have to go to Chicago or I have to be in LA to to feel fulfilled creatively. Like that's just not the case. I think that's that's a that's a really great message. What advice would you give to someone who is new to producing? Yeah. Um that's a good that's a really good question. I think that I have learned that it's really helpful to surround yourself with doers mm -hmm. if you're a producer. Ideas are amazing and you need ideas, you need vision, 
but eventually you have to kind of get down to the business of the making. Mm. Um, and there are so many different moving pieces to producing, depending on what you're doing. If it's a festival, you've got just hundreds of moving pieces. If it's a production, you know, you, you also have many, many moving pieces, but you know, you're, raising money, you're, you know, doing the budgeting and all of that stuff. You're hiring people. You're making sure that I think, I think that's the big thing is surrounding yourself with people, capable people who can help you make the thing happen. Um, because if you're just surrounded by excited people who have lots of ideas, then nothing gets made or you wind up doing all of the work. Um, and I think, I think the other thing I would say is for me, and I'm a particular kind of person who's a little bit of an over-functioner, that it's important to teach people how to help you and to um, let people do the work because otherwise, you know, I think as a producer, you can burn out really fast if you're not um, making sure that there are enough people um, and that you are letting go of some of, of the things that need to be done. And I think also giving yourself enough time is really important too, because um, I think there are so many there are so many moving parts, and sometimes doing some of the things takes longer than you think, like raising money, um, or even you know finding your full cast or getting your set built or you know whatever it is. I think starting early. Um, is something that's really important too. Here, here, starting <laughs> early. <laughs> well, I, I like the starting early, but I also, I can see why you are sought out to do the type of the work that you do, because um, I, I would say that this would be true for any organization that um, an effective leader is going to give the tools to the people that are working with that leader so that they are setting them up for success, but also to alleviate some of the work from you. Like then it become, it really does become a true co collaboration with a team. So I can really appreciate all those things that you're saying. And I know um, I I'm imagining that a lot of people listening have been in the situation where the leader is doing all the work, doesn't want to let go of those reins or, or give the, the people that are really running the organization, you know, because the leader is going to delegate, right? right. Yeah. Um, give them the tools to set them up for success. So, um, wow. <laughs> Kudos <laughs> to you because no, that, that really is how you, you, you make it run, you know, it's like ha having that machine, but everybody has their part in the machine to keep it moving. So, um, and it's also shows trust in your part on, on yeah. that you're working with, which I think says volumes about one's character, right? That you, that you can trust the people that you work with to make competent, proactive choices to, to accomplish this beautiful thing that you're trying to accomplish. So. Well, that they're on their journey too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and being able to share the joy. I mean, that's the other thing. You know, I've seen a lot of producers kind of take it all on and be front and center. But then, you know, everybody else just feels like, oh, we did that thing. You know, I feel burned out, but I don't feel celebrated. Mm. I think, um, you know, I think a good producer or leader brings, as you're saying, you know, brings everybody along, but we all feel like we're a part of it. And we're all, um, we we all get celebrated and we all feel like, you know, I, I did this and, and I, um, I don't know, sharing, sharing that joy, sharing, sharing choices, letting people kind of other people have, as you're saying, trusting them enough to let them make the decisions so you're not always dictating how things are going, but people can feel like they have real ownership, then, you know, it becomes more than you imagined because you're you're not the one who's deciding every little piece. Mm. That is wonderful. Um, now, at the Inge Festival, there, it, it, there are some performances, but there's also so many other offerings. Can you talk about that? Because, uh, you know, when Mabel and I looked at the website, we went, wow, look at all of these. And it's affordable. So if you, yeah. if you could talk about that, that would be great. Yeah. Um, so I, I think, I think this is sort of true in both of my jobs, but um, at the William Inch Theater Festival specifically, really thinking about audience, who's your audience. And our audience is so broad. We have local students, local, you know, community members, many of whom, you know, like theater, some of whom don't really, or maybe they haven't seen it before, but their kid likes it or, you know, the festival has been around long enough that the community knows, and and there's actually quite a bit of, of love for the theater arts in the community, but you've got your local audience, then you have sort of your regional audience and the national audience. And for a long time, you know, before I um, was the artistic director just kind of working with the local volunteers, especially, I I kept hearing and really seeing that it felt like the festival sometimes was not for them. Mm. And um, this was clear partially in the programming, but definitely in the ticket prices. And also most things were happening kind of up at the college and even all of the meals and things were catered for the guest artists. So there wasn't a lot of interaction in the community, even though there was hope that there would be interaction, there wasn't practical ways for that to happen. So when I, when I started um, as the artistic director, I really wanted to figure out how to make I lowered ticket prices. I mean, I told them when I started, hey, I'm lowering ticket prices <laughs> because I wanted people to be able to attend um, locally. And, you know, folks working in rural Kansas are making a lot less money than somebody even working in like St. Louis. So I also wanted to bring more events down into the community um, because then people see them, you can stumble across them, you can, you know, it's easier to just interact with it if it's right there and you're downtown anyway. And 
then also the third piece was the independence has this really incredible downtown main street association. They've really, there's a Walmart on the outside of town, but they've really tried to keep the main street together and all of those businesses thriving, even with the big box store out outside of town. And um, they have a program called main street bucks where main street independence will sell you these certificates that are basically you know, a dollar for a dollar of Main Street bucks that you can use at any of these local uh, merchants and um, like money. So we've started purchasing, you know, thousands, like 10 to $20,000 of Main Street bucks from them and giving them out to all of our artists so that they're actually spending their money downtown and eating downtown and no more catered meals and things like that so that we can really have a true economic impact. And so people can meet everybody and feel like a part of a community. All of this was kind of the building block for how do we engage the community and then what kinds of programs are happening that they'd be interested in attending. So, um, now they're meeting artists downtown. Now we're having, instead of out at the college, we're having the conversation with the playwright at the local library, which is downtown and everybody can walk to. Um, Now we're having the um, new play lab plays, which we have 20 playwrights from around the country who have been selected um, to have their 10 minute or one act plays read um, at two afternoons at two different locations at this church that basically has a little alley between the two places so you can go back and forth. And it's also right downtown. Um, and then also our, we have these inge off stage events. So after the evening performances, people can go downtown and go to one of a handful of restaurants or bars to just hang out, spend their main street bucks and eat and drink and get, to, you know, no repeat. So, um, so that's kind of, the workshops that we plan happen during the day. And this year, instead of it being kind of a hodgepodge, which is what it's been in the past, sort of based on who's coming, we're trying to be really intentional about creating tracks so that people can, I mean, in a pandemic world, be in a cohort, but also be building over a couple of days with the folks they're with. So one of the tracks, which will be taught by Idris Goodwin, is the TYA Theater for Young Audiences track. And we're really hoping to engage high school teachers, community theater makers, you know, people who work in TYA or, or children's theater companies or whatever um, in that track. Um, we'll have a track for students. And this one where this year, instead of it being like, you get to do an improv class or, or stage combat class. Um, it, instead of that, we we want to be more intentional about teaching them that theater can be made. It doesn't have to be a script that you receive and can be meaningful to what you're experiencing in the world. So it will be um, a couple of days where they'll be working with artists to generate theater together from their own story. Oh, Yeah. So they're building so that we're, you were just trying to give them tools to, understand their own power as storytellers and makers and what more can theater do and be. Um, The play labs that are happening in the afternoon, we're bringing in a couple companies. I say companies and I'm using air quotes because they're not 
actual companies, but I've hired a director from Fayetteville, Arkansas, Morgan Hicks, and then a director who's actually a playwright out at um, Iowa State University, uh, Chris Amenifee, and she's going to bring students and professionals. Um, Morgan's going to bring students and professionals, and they will be performing. And then um, I'll be bringing in directors and producers and playwrights from the region. So I'm really trying to draw from the region folks who can, you know, drive in and um, who are working at theaters that make new work so they can encounter these playwrights, hear their plays. And I'm trying to hopefully create opportunities for connection. Maybe productions come out of that along the way or meaningful connections with theaters and theater makers. So um, that's kind of how I'm thinking about the programming. It's really about like who we're serving, but also I really want to connect in a deeper way to the community and to the region so that we, as I was talking about before, a theater amazing theater is happening everywhere. It can happen in rural America. It is happening in rural America. Um, and how can we feed and foster those kinds of connections um, in, you know, that region? And we're kind of in this five-state region. Kansas, Independence, Kansas is right where Kansas, Oklahoma, Missouri, and Arkansas all come together, I guess it's first state, but we also, you know, have people coming from Iowa. And so, yeah. Wow. Sounds That's magical. It yeah, truly it, sounds it, magical. It really I love that how you are so intentional about engaging the community. I mean, just the, the economic impact and just the, just the being mindful about the main street bucks. Is that what they're called? Main yeah. <laughs> I love that. that. Oh, yeah, that is, we, wow. you know, we used to say all the time and in our grant applications to the Chamber of Commerce, you know, there's an economic impact. But if you're bringing in caterers from Wichita, Kansas to cater all the meals for your guests, artists, you know, how do you know? Is it happening? I think so often our communities don't see the impact and the Main Street Bucks is special because the Main Street organization helps us with that. So it, it's actually, you know, you can tell, you can see those dollars. But the first time we did that, the restaurants and the shops and even like the antique shop was turning in bucks to the chamber for money. And it was like, oh, now we see the economic impact. It's more than we imagined. Um and they felt like, oh, I want the Inch Festival back and I want them to use those Main Street bucks again because I want people to spend them in my store. You know, you can't do that everywhere, but I think if we can really find ways to help our communities see the impact of the work, not just on the stage, but in the community, um, that, that's going to go a long way. I really, I think so many people give lip service to creating community and you're doing it. <laughs> so I, I'm just super impressed and, and also really excited to check it out. Yeah. Um, I'm so I excited think- you are coming. <laughs> <That's> amazing. <laughs> it almost seems, you know, unreal. Like I'm, I'm just, uh, yeah, I'm. 
really, really looking forward to it. So here is our asking for a friend. If you could see one play again for the first time, what would it be and why? One play again for the first time. Hmm. Wow. Oh, I'll just say the first one that comes to, to mind right now. I, it's, <laughs> I've seen so many new plays. It's like now <laughs> everything's like, um, Stacy Rose's Legacy Land, which we developed at the Playwright Center, um, and which was supposed to open at Casey Rep right before the pandemic hit and then had to um, close on opening night, which was just tragic. I saw a picture of this set and I just, the reason I say that, um, that play, I think I was really excited to see how the set was going to interact with the play. Um, the play is this really, uh, incredible story about two sisters um, and this home that they grew up in. And one of the sisters is still living in this home and there's a big tree outside. And I don't want to give anything away, but it does feel like in that play, what I never got to see because it was always readings, but you know, you hear in stage directions um, is the things that would have been happening, sort of the magical realism that would have been happening on set between the house and its environment and the things that are happening. And I really would love to see how that played out on a stage. You know, there are some things that, some plays that can be so theatrical in that way. Um, and you really do kind of want to see it fully fleshed out. I, I Sometimes I say that I love playwriting so much because you can imagine what's going to happen on stage and then you're not distracted by anything that doesn't go well or whatever. But there are some plays that really need to be realized on stage because whatever that thing is going to be is going to add that magical theatrical element that we love so much. So that's one that I wish and can't wait to eventually see on stage that I have seen in my mind multiple times, but would love to see on stage. Yes, I hope, I hope you get the opportunity to, I would love to see it. The description, uh, I would love to read the script. I appreciate what you're saying too about it, hearing a reading and you're yes. imagining it yes. or just reading a script because Mabel and I had that experience where we read, um, we read a script by Christian St. Croix. We both were just blown away. So we had to see it. Yes. <laughs> yes. So then when it was produced, it's like, Oh, this is, you know, I wanted to see how, how? The actors, yeah. how, how did they do it? Yeah. You know, and the director and, and the set. Yes. Yeah. So I totally, totally appreciate that. There's something to be said for both the value of the reading and then seeing everything unfold in front of you. Right. Yeah. Right. Yep. Great. All right. Yeah. <laughs> writing prompt. So Hannah, do you have a writing prompt to leave our listeners with? I do. So this is kind of a plug for, um, the Playwright Center, 
programming again. So one of the things that we um, we also do through the membership program is that I commission playwrights to write articles for us. And these are um, less like a commentary on what's happening in the field and more a kind of how to or educational or, you know, uh, writing prompt kind of style. So um, a number of years ago, I asked Winter Miller to write an article and she did. And it was called Five Prompts to Jumpstart Your Weekend Writing. And um, so so I'm not even going to like make up my own prompt. I'm just going to share with you hers because I love it so much. And then I'm not going to give all the prompts. I'll just um, encourage people to read the article. It is on our website under Toolkit. Um, so the first prompt that she writes here, and and she actually gives um, some credit to Karen Hartman because Karen Hartman um, used a version of this in one of her classes. And so we I love Karen. Love Karen. Karen. <laughs> so Winter says, write a letter to yourself from someone in your past or present who has said kind words to you, a favorite teacher, a family member, and just have them say some things they love about you, some words of encouragement. Spend five minutes or so on it. First name that comes to you, just go. Surprise yourself. That is a that is an exercise that we should do every morning. <laughs> yes. Right? Yep. <laughs> Whether you're a playwright or not, that's a beautiful, that is a beautiful writing exercise. That's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, yeah. Hannah. And thank you, Winter Miller. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And it's called Five Prompts to Jumpstart Your Weekend Writing. And it's actually a whole kind of, she's got a whole article on if you wanted to kind of make your weekend into a writing retreat. So check it out on the Playwright Center website under toolkit. Yeah. I'm going to it right now. Yeah. I love that. I think it's super cool. She walks you through all the steps, including like drinking water. So Oh, Oh my gosh. You know what? I'm looking at it right now. It's incredible. Yeah. And, and thank you for plugging the toolkit. The toolkit is fabulous. On the website, yes. And you can find all kinds of writing prompts on there. So for our listeners who really uh, are excited about these prompts that come at the end of every episode, check out the toolkit on pwcenter.org. And we'll put a, um, we'll put a link in the show. We'll put a link, yeah, yeah and for sure. To, to the toolkit and to this uh, article. Awesome. Yes. Awesome. Cool. cool. All right. So Hannah... Yeah. Um, final, final plug. Final, like, what do you want the world uh, to know, and where can they find you if you want to be found? Um, all that good stuff. Yeah. So um, definitely check out our membership program at the Playwright Center, pwcenter.org/slash/join. Um, and if you have any questions, you can reach me um, there at Hannah J at pwcenter.org. I would love to answer your questions. And then um, the William Inch Theater Festival is in its, we're actually in our 40th year, but this will be our 39th festival. And we are celebrating Lynn Nottage this year. Ah. She is coming to Independence, Kansas. And um, as I mentioned before, there is going to be something for everyone, uh, students, theater lovers, people who wonder if they love theater, um, people who make theater, playwrights, um, 
we welcome you to join us. Um, IngeCenter.org is the website. And um, as Mabel said, tickets are very affordable. Um, we know that you have to get yourself to Kansas. And so if you don't live in the, in the area, you'll, you'll want to fly to Tulsa, but let us know and we'll send somebody to pick you up from the airport. Um, hotels are inexpensive and there will be lots of good people to hang out with. It's three days and um, we welcome you to join us. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, Hannah. This has been such an amazing conversation and I'm, I'm inspired. Thank you. I'm so glad to be invited. And actually, I'm so excited because for the listeners who don't know, Tori and Mabel are going to come down to Independence, Kansas as well and do some live podcasting from the festival. So I'm super excited to welcome you to Kansas. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Hannah. Again, we will put all of the ways that people can contact you and learn about all of the wonderful work that you are doing. We so appreciate everything that you are doing to um, help playwrights in and out of the rooms that they are working in. And all of your work as a producer, it's just been such a, a great conversation. And we're glad we got to know more about you and all of the fabulous things you're doing in the world of theater. Thank you. Thank you. Another great conversation. I just, I learned so much and could really appreciate how she creates community in Independence, Kansas for that festival. That is amazing. Everything that they are doing yes. to support the community, you know, yes, and the artists who are coming out. The day after we recorded, she followed up with the the additional nuggets of wisdom via email after our conversation. Yes. So one of the questions we asked was, what advice would you give to producers? She said, I realized I should have talked about the importance of partnerships with other organizations. That has been a critical piece for me in my own producing work. Partnerships with local organizations, Chamber of Commerce and Independence, the Independence Main Street, various businesses, arts organizations, both regionally and nationally, etc. I also thought about how important it is to lead with the values of your organization when you are working with other organizations. So you know from the start if your partnership will work and your work together will be meaningful. She went on to say, Finally, in response to your question about pain writers, I neglected to mention that we at Playwrights Center are now providing a supplemental health insurance for our fellowship playwrights. It has been huge for us and them. End quote. Wow. Wow. That's that is- incredible that they provide supplemental health insurance. I mean, that's such can be such a load off right as a as a as a person as an artist to know that you have health insurance wow just lovely i can't wait to meet her in person too yes absolutely and if you haven't please check out playwright center pwcenter.org um if you're in kansas or near kansas like check out the william inch festival and um, it, it, like it sounds like it's going to be amazing because you know, Lynn Nottage will be there, Gina Femia will be there, Idris Goodwin will be there. <laughs> yeah, it'll be it'll be amazing. It's going to be such a good time. I'm so looking forward to that. So, Tori, what else is going on? What are anything exciting coming up? 
Yes, uh, I have a 10 minute play that is going to be a part of the final draft new play festival presented by New Village Arts. <gasps> that is going, I know, I'm so excited because it was supposed to happen in January, but you know, as with many things, because of COVID and the new variant that was going around in January, things closed down. So now it will be April 1st is when the 10 minute play festival will happen. But the whole weekend, April 1st to the 3rd, is going to be uh, a celebration of new work by local theater artists. So Friday, April 1st, it's going to be the 10 minute play festival. And I believe that starts at 630. I'm going to put this up on the um, on the show notes. If anyone would like to get tickets and join me there. These are all San Diego playwrights. So this is very exciting to have an entire weekend dedicated to um, to the final draft new play festival and getting to see some new work and running into playwrights that we know and love and meeting new ones as well. Cause there's a, a whole list of fabulous playwrights that are going to be um, featured And that 10 minute play festival. There are six 10 oh, wow. minute plays that night. Yeah. That is yeah. Very cool. All right. It's always exciting when new work is uh, hits the streets. That's amazing. Um, Tori, which play are, are they presenting of yours? Um, For mine, it'll be box of teeth. I love it. So, Yes, yes, yes. Very exciting. Play. And it, it just looks like an, uh, a nice, um, like, a, like a very diverse compilation of plays, you know, all different subject matter, theme, characters. It's going to be great. Fantastic. That's going to be a really cool event. All right. Awesome. Anything else? Oh, uh, I did see I did see production stills of Fully Vaxxed happening at Olympia Family Theater. I know I've talked about it before, and it's amazing. And I hope that um, that those are shared with the world at some point because it's really cool. And um, if you go on uh, my personal Instagram, you could see you could see the luchadores and, and like the coronavirus luchador. It's amazing. Anyway. Uh, so shout out to Olympia Family Theater and the wonderful work. And they're going to be touring those the three plays that were generated for that project throughout Washington, the state of Washington. So that's really cool. That is incredibly cool. Right on. Good stuff. All righty. So with that, Tori, I think uh, I think we're good. Are we good? You think so? Ready to, ready <laughs> to get on with our lives and say... Do we, do we hit it off? Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Cool. All right. Well, then I guess... Uh, um, I've got some things to work on. You've got some things to work on, and uh, and I guess uh, and and we'll start planning outfits for uh, for Kansas. Oh my goodness! Yeah, that that yeah. I feel like I need to go shopping. Me too. And with that, Tori. With that. Uh, see you next time. What well, <laughs> we're do are we doing the cool closing line. Bye. Bye, playwright. Bye, playwright.